Frogcast. We are here to recap and look forward. Frogs beat Houston down there in um, in Houston, 36 to 13. We got a big game coming up this week against SMU. We're going to do a deep dive into the game, glance around the Big 12, as well as a few other um, games of note. That and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. So, Jeremy, we we have several things that are positive to kick off with that I want to go through, but I want to start with one that that's kind of on brand for us. Um, why don't you take a minute and um, weigh in and comment on the obviously hostile, crazy, overflowing, standing room only crowd for the first Big 12 game ever at uh, TEDR XYZ Energy Stadium down there in Houston. Well, it's definitely not the atmosphere I was expecting to go into. Man, it was just eerily quiet. Just the whole time walking into the stadium, the stadium is much smaller than I thought it was. Um, for some reason, I thought it was bigger. It It's very small in person, very, very small in person. But we're talking 10 minutes before the game, and that thing might, might have been 60% full, if that. I mean, there was a ton of empty seats. We obviously can't see the whole stadium because we're in the comfy confines of the press box, but um, – we saw some pictures that some of our guys posted, and you could tell there was a lot of empty seats. Houston really didn't give – the football team themselves didn't give their fans anything to cheer about during the game, really. Um, but, man, you just expected a different crowd. It's their Big 12 – their inaugural Big 12 game. And you get that kind of crowd. You get that kind of atmosphere. I think TCU fans were louder than Houston fans. But, man – oh, Press box uh, food, my uh, Jeremy Clark rankings of Big 12 press box food, dead last. Absolute dead last. So, you know the the stores, like you go into like these convenience stores, awesome, so you got U.S. Texas guys or, you know, these, these taco times, and they have these, I'll probably never get credentialed again for saying this, but they oh, have keep, these. Keep going, keep going. So you have you have these things where you walk into a store and they have these different food items under a heat lamp. Your chicken, your fish, your french fries. You know what I'm talking about, right? So basically we got the chicken and fish and then we had very cold rice and beans. And then um I don't know what else it was. The only good thing they had they they had a, a, a had a pumpkin a slice of pumpkin pie. They did have, you know, the Dr Pepper and Sprite and stuff like that which was better than what TCU is, but Houston, press box food is dead last for uh, the press box food items I've had over the years. They they it, it was not uh, the experience that I was looking for, Jeff. To be honest with you. Well, you know, it, the, when I was in the press box with you last time, they had Heim barbecue sitting out there. They had plenty of plenty of good food, plenty of uh, good drink. Maybe not the Dr Pepper that you want, but. Yeah, I, I, I was watching that game, and I just kept thinking, this is the best they can do. I mean, the, the Big 12 gifted them a home opener against the runner-up uh, national champions, and then they get a and, and it's a, it's a night game. Ideal, I mean, I know there was some weather, et cetera, and they also get they get Texas at home. But I, I was just disappointed with what, with what I saw from Houston fans. And I just want to go on the record and talk, continue to talk about what a poverty program this is. <laughs> the weather wasn't a factor man I mean I got to the stadium two hours before and there was overcast it was raining a little bit but by the time 
Kickoff came around 6.30. It was clear skies. The sun was out. Beautiful night, actually. But I think part of it has to do with, I think if TCU was a top 25 team, obviously the fans would have showed up just to see that. And if Houston wouldn't have lost to Rice, probably would have been more fans there. But you lose a game to uh, Rice in the fashion that they did, I could see how a lot of you know, the, the T-shirt fans jump off the bandwagon as soon as they could. But I, I was just it, – it was it was very, very surprising that they had that stadium that empty. And it, it reminded me a lot of – I hate to say it, but it kind of reminded me of SMU. I mean, they did better than SMU, but not much better. Not, not much better. Not much better. I saw some pictures of uh, SMU's home opener, and I know they had. I think they had Prairie View A and M, but we had. I think you could have had an entire section to yourself at an SMU game. You know they. You know I'm. I, most of y'all know I'm a minister. You know on those Sundays like the Sunday after Easter, the Sunday after Christmas, I say everybody scoot on up. Let's all let's all kind of scoot together here. I, I think SMU needs to do that. They need to get some ushers. They need to rope off the back section. Get everybody into that section to fill it up between the 40s in row 1 through 10 on, on one side of the stadium. They can all fit in there. I think Houston might be having to learn something from SMU. They're pretty good at it. So, yeah, when you compare them to SMU, you know I'm in. All right, let's flip, let's flip it here. It was um, the, the, the Big 12 opener for the Frogs going on the road to Houston. We get this win, as I said, 36-13. to 13. The Frogs were looking for a chance to rebound. Uh, obviously, it's really hard to assess Nichols. That didn't keep us from talking about it uh, all week on a board and talk about it on a podcast last week. But it's hard to assess about how things are going. We're going to go through some things that I'm excited about from this game, and I'm going to I'm going to tee you up to talk about them. But I just want to get your initial response. Did the Frogs get a chance to start to right the ship after the Colorado loss with this game down in Houston? I think so. I think this is kind of the game we in the media and, and even you guys as fans have kind of been waiting to see. It wasn't perfect. The offense left a lot of points on the board. There's still people calling for Kendall's head um, because they didn't score 70 against a bad blah, Houston blah, team. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Sorry. But I think I think when you look at just playing complimentary football, this was the first game we saw that. The offense scored when they needed to. The defense, I, I said this was their best performance of the year. There's no doubt in my mind. Anytime you go out, yeah, Houston lost to Rice, but they scored 41 points. They've got great skill athletes. The quarterback's kind of, you know, you don't really know what Donovan Smith is. He's kind of about level, level par with the the Big 12. I mean, he's not going to be the best quarterback in the Big 12. He's not going to be the worst quarterback in the he's Big not, 12. He's no Gunner Gundy. No, absolutely not. But the, the, the thing I liked about the way the defense has improved the last two weeks, and we saw that against Houston, they're, they're not missing as many tackles. They're still missed tackles, but they're they're playing better assignment football. They did get away with – Couple lucky breaks, some some drop passes, deep deep passes, but those happen in football games. At the end of the day, they allowed 13 total points. Um, they allowed uh, three field goals, and I'm sorry, two field goals, and their only Houston's only touchdown was a uh, teams return. So two weeks in a row, you have the defense not allowing a touchdown. So whether you hate Joe Gillespie or not, you've got to admit they're playing much, much better football than what we saw two weeks ago. 
Yeah, as you said, that's a second straight game without giving up a touchdown. That is uh, that is progress. That is progress. We can say, I want to see this adjustment. There were still a few times I'm like, why are we playing so off on the coverage when it's third and four? But um, that we, it's clearly progress. You know, Jamie wrote this up in one of his articles, but we the Frogs had six sacks, 14 quarterback pressures. That is a whole lot better than what we have seen in the past. And I think that kind of impact going forward is what we're going to need to see against SMU. So that, that that's my assessment of defense is progress, and we celebrate all progress. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what we what we said two weeks ago that needs to get better has gotten better. It's just like studying. You you've got to study for these tests, or you're going to fail. And the teachers are giving you the tools to go out there and succeed and pass those tests. And that's what we've kind of seen with TCU the last two weeks is they've gotten better in areas that we were really concerned with them about getting pressure on the quarterback, pass that with flying colors. Tackling better, have passed that with flying colors. Chandler Morris throwing accurate balls, catchable passes, passing that with flying colors now. So each week we're seeing them get better. And as as bad as some fans, I know they're still negative fans because they weren't they want perfection. There's never going to be perfection. But think about it this way: as as bad as some claim that they played on offense or defense, they still get a 23 point win on the road against a Big 12 program. I don't give a crap how bad some people think Houston is. It's a Big 12 program, and that's a very quality win for TCU. Something that I had highlighted on Twitter, and I I put it on our message board, hornfrogblitz.com, like and subscribe today. Uh, This would have been the only only Big 12 games last year that had a larger margin margin of victory than the 23-point win in Houston were the Iowa State game, which was the last game of the season, and the Frogs were trying to make a point, get uh, Max to New York, and uh, you know get go roll into that Big 12 game. And let's be honest, man, Iowa State had absolutely nothing to play for in that game. And the other one is is Oklahoma, and the Frogs put up a bunch of points. But let's not forget Dylan Gabriel gets knocked out, and they roll out like a third string walk on from South Carolina that was not in the cards for them to play. And um, there were still moments where Eric Gray is just sprinting down the field in that game, getting getting yards and, and putting the ball in the end zone. And so every other game, those big games last year, I mean, I love Bazooka. It's a one-point win against a 6-7 and seven Baylor team. We love uh, the Oklahoma State win in double overtime. That was an Oklahoma State team that went 6-7. and seven. West Virginia was a bad team last year. And that was a three-point game until the last play of the game when Max threw a touchdown. So I'm not I'm not negating that there needs to be growth, but I am arguing that when we glance back last year, the the most consistent thing the team did in 2022 was win. It was not play efficiently; it was win. I mean, we all know Max didn't have a great game against Michigan, but they won. So it's it's a great it's a great game, and we celebrate it. And I got the the the, the towel hanging here on my wall that we won the Fiesta Bowl. But I, I'm not reducing the obs- observable opportunities for growth that the Frogs have. But I, I don't want to just sit around and say, "Well, after last year, we should be putting we should be burying everybody by forty. We didn't bury anybody by forty last year." That's the problem with a lot of people is those expectations have risen. And now your your expectation, people want to post, oh, I'll be happy with eight or nine wins. No, you won't. Some of you guys post and will not be happy with eight or nine wins. 
Y'all want to get back to the national championship, and that's fine. That's what every fan in college football wants to do. But you've got to admit that there's progress. You don't have to do the backhanded slap. Well, they played great, but, oh, yeah, Houston sucks. No, I mean, actually, Houston probably sucked because TCU made them look that way. This you got you got to give compliments where they're deserved, and I think if you watch that game with an open mind, you've got to admit, hey, Chandler, he he made some pretty good decisions. Yeah, he had the fumble, but overall, he made good decisions. Amani Bailey, dude, just stud. I mean, we all know that now. Offensive line didn't play great, but they weren't bad. Receivers. Got to catch the ball more consistently, but they still played good. They had over 300 yards passing, so they did something right. This offense had 562 yards of offense. So they're doing something right. They're scoring 36 points. And that defense in the second half, everyone's been waiting. You, you've had it dialed up on your on your keyboard or on your phone waiting to hit publish because Joe Gillespie's not making these second-half adjustments. That second half for TCU's defense – was some of the best defense I've seen them play in the past two seasons. That was that was really good defense, the way they just held Houston. I mean, Houston got most of their yards in the second half as Jamie and I were walking down from the press box to the field level. We we leave the press box, get down to the field, and they've they've marched down the field on TCU. But hey, got a secret for you, Jeff. That was their backups. That's a backup linebacker that got an interception late in the game. So if if you if you can't look at this game with an open mind and and just relish in the fact that TCU got a quality win and stop worrying about well if we were playing so and so they would have kicked our ass no you're playing Houston you just won by 23 points feel happy in that don't worry about one week two weeks three weeks down the road take it one week at a time be happy enjoy the win quit being miserable and hating yourself and thinking every game's going to be a 40 to nothing blowout or a 20 point win. It is not going to happen that way. It just doesn't. This is college football. We are in a different realm, my friend. Well, as a man that has two TCU football tattoos, one on each shoulder, I'm here to tell you guys, don't let your whole identity be wrapped up in TCU football. <laughs> Maybe I'm not the right uh, spokesperson for that. All right, two things I did want to highlight on, or a couple things on offense I wanted to get your, your, your input on. Chandler Morris, as you mentioned, 314 yards uh, through the air, 24 of 37. I saw what I was hoping for which is uh, some explosive plays where the ball's in the air longer than 15 yards. We saw multiple uh, deep passes. We saw multiple explosive plays. Uh, he came out early swinging or th- uh, winging the ball, and I, w- I was really uh, I was really proud. I-, I mean, I thought I thought Chandler played a pretty good game. It's it's not like it was going to be last week where literally every pass could have been caught. He's human. I know most of you expect the quarterback to not be human, but I felt good about how uh, Chandler Morris played. I want to know if your your take on you know putting up those yardage, getting the ball deeper is something else. I, w- I was I'd love to hear if you thought he did a better job on. Yeah, I think Chandler keeps improving each week. I was on Sirius Radio earlier today, and I think a lot of the argument was – Name drop. <laughs> Humble brag. Um, dang it, Jeff, you threw me off. Anyhow, we were talking We were talking about, and, and I was talking about the message board, how, how some um, naysayers have said, well, let's see him throw the ball downfield. And I think the last two weeks we started to see that. We saw a couple of completions over 25 yards – against Nichols and now obviously against Houston we saw the long completion on a perfect pass 
to Warren Thompson and maybe an even better pass to Savion Williams. I mean, you couldn't have walked down and handed that one even any better. So two really good passes. It's kind of reminiscent of what we used to see with with gosh, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but Baylor back in the day when everyone thought all they do is throw verticals. That's all they do. But they were a really good run team. And I think Kendall does a really good job of setting up those vertical passes with that run game. And I think that's what we're going to continue to see each week. But decision-making, I think it's just getting better. Uh, I made a post during the game thread that Chandler was in a pool hall. He's out there throwing darts. He threw two absolute darts to Jalen Robinson. And about the time I said something good, I can't remember what happened, but something bad happened after that play. Maybe I think it was the fumble on the sack. Well, it seemed like they were further downfield. I think they were. I think they were further downfield. Maybe it was the same drive where uh, Besh was held and the ball got tipped up and intercepted. So um, I didn't like that. We'll we'll talk about things we didn't like uh, here in a little bit. But um, but overall, I think I think Chandler did really well. I think he's getting better every week, and the way he's ran the football the last two games is just getting my hopes up each week with that guy because he's looking more and more comfortable. He was he was running around, and you could tell he loves running around. He loves sliding. Got that good baseball slide going on. He'll hop up. He'll talk some smack, and it's, it's just kind of fun to see that energy that he has out there. Well, you mentioned it, and Jamie wrote a, pretty, a really good article about that, that Chandler's legs were five for five on third down. When when Chandler decided I'm gonna I'm gonna pull the ball or I'm going to uh, scramble or maybe even a design quarterback run, uh, the Frogs were five for five on third down when Chandler Morris decided to run the ball. You had mentioned last week about the the psychological barrier of running the ball after an injury. You know that you you cherish your experience about playing rec league football after you tore your Achilles, um, and and you said. I think I kind of get what Chandler's up against. Did you see? Did you see that he made progress on that on, on, in that game in in that psychological way? Where hey, I, I need yards and I'm going to go, and maybe a little quicker instincts to to get downfield with his legs. Yeah, absolutely. He's that's that's one of the things that he's told us that he's working on. Um, when he sees that availability, take it when it when it when it gets there. He even admitted on his on his fumble he waited too long. He tried to sit in the pocket as long as he can, decides to run, and God bless him, but Mike Nichols kind of got blown up on that play too. It wasn't all Chandler's fault. I think Mike got pushed basically into Chandler's lap. So um, I, I I really feel, like I said, better each week with his, with his running ability. And I like the fact that he's playing so smart where he's sliding on these plays. He's not really giving himself up to take a big hit. He did take a big hit, hit against Nichols, a week ago, but other than that, he's he's been really, really smart running the football. And, man, I'm going to tell you, he doesn't look slow. He does not look slow at all. And I think the more and more he continues to make big plays with his feet, it's going to ro- just open up run lanes for Imani Bailey and, and, and Trey Sanders, whoever's playing running back behind Imani, um, to, to help them get some big run gains. I was real happy with the way the offensive line opened up the run lanes the other night too. Well, let's close on offense with Amani Bailey. He's, 
you know, this year he's put up 357 yards on the ground. Saturday night he had 23 carries for 126 yards. He's on pace for over 1,400 yards, and the least yardage he's put up this year is against Nichols. And so I feel really good about what we're seeing from Imani Bailey. What are you observing with his ability to, I don't want to say, get the home run ball on, on, a, on a carry. But I feel like he, every time he touches the ball, he could get 15 or 18 yards. I'm not sure he's going to take it to the house. I know what we saw in that Colorado game. That was a great play. But I feel like every time he gets a carry, he could go for 10, 15, 20 yards. And I feel like his confidence is growing. And I think that Bryles is starting to understand how to deploy him in this offense so that, as you said, the Bryles offense isn't just throw the ball downfield 70 plays on four verticals. It's be able to run the ball downhill and not just throw it downfield. Yeah, absolutely. And and Kendall wants to run the football. I mean, if you look at what he did at Arkansas, they ran the football. And I think – Obviously, when you have a guy like Amani Bailey, it kind of makes you uh, look back and just realize how good Kendra Miller and, and Amari DiMicardo were last year for that guy not to be getting that many carries. We asked Sonny in fall camp, hey, is this going to kind of be a running back by committee? And he said, yeah. Well, I haven't seen the running back committee by committee with one guy getting over 20 carries and the next guy, get, I don't even know how many Trey got, but Let's. We know Imani's going to be the workhorse, and I mean, for a guy that was kind of questionable even leading up to that game, we didn't even know that until Sonny said that we didn't even know if he was going to play or not. Um, Imani said, well, there was no way I wasn't going to play, so just shows you how tough that guy is. But the one thing I love about Imani, positive yards, positive yards, positive yards. Whether it's a 10-yard gain, 15-yard gain, 74-yard gain like he had against Colorado, he's got that explosiveness. But what I really love about Amani is he just hits that lane and he hits it 100 miles per hour. He doesn't do a lot of dancing. He's going to try to get one to two yards every time. I feel, as crazy as it sounds, I feel more comfortable with Amani Bailey in there on a third and two, third and three situation than I do with a bigger back like Trey Sanders because I know Amani is going to – go right at that running lane, right at that gap, and try to get positive yards. And more often than not, he's doing it. Yeah, I, I like that attitude that he runs with because I, I, too, have more confidence in him than I do Sanders. And he's, he's going to be used in very specific situations, but I it is not running back by committee. It is running back by executive order. All right, we could talk a lot about wild receivers. I feel really good about their production. John Paul played well. Savion Williams had a good game that I think the Frog fans were excited for. Obviously, Robinson had a great game. But we got to talk about some things that didn't go so well. Um, Jeremy, third down calling. Play, play calling on third down. I, you know, most people don't know this, but, you know, I coached for a couple years at, at All Saints, kind of before they became really good. Um even I know you you got to run past the sticks. <laughs> I know I sound like internet dad. I know I sound like the guy in the stands. But I had some serious questions about their third down play calling, especially giving the ball to a tight end to run backwards. I don't think that we should run that play anymore. Maybe it's just me, but what were your observations of third down play calling? Because the Frogs were only 6-15 on third downs, and five of those they got were uh, Chandler Morris's legs. Well, I love Chandler running it, for sure. Um, that Jack Bash call I did not like because they had the momentum. That was actually a first down call. They lost 13 yards on that first down play. Oh, that was a first down call? Yeah. That's my bad. Yeah. Um, but it stalled the drive. 
it still, it really did. But the, uh, I'm not, I'm not really sure that it's, it's, it's a combination of things. I, I firmly believe some of it is play calling. I also firmly believe a lot of it's execution, like the interception. Let's take the interception for example. It's a fourth and three or fourth and four. If Jack Besh catches that pass, there's zero percent zero percent chance he's getting the first down. He's covered. He's covered up like flies on. You know what? He's not getting that first down. It was a it was a bad it, either bad execution on Jack, bad execution on Chandler, even throwing it to Jack, knowing they had basically three more yards to get a first down. And I didn't like that play to the short side of the field. Now, had they run some type of pick play and Jack goes up field for four or five yards and then does his route, it's probably a little bit better play. I don't get paid a lot of money. This is just me because I call my offense on NCAA football 14. That's what I do. But the the, the backwards, the, the, the jet sweeps, stuff like that, the bubble passes, I don't think we saw as many bubble passes this week. Um, but I, I – if I was to grade Kendall right now, I'd give him a ninety. That's he. They're they're putting up points. They're putting up points. TCU's not two and one because of Kendall in a bad way. He, they're two and one because Kendall's doing good. Um, you get five hundred sixty-two yards of offense. There's not a whole lot to be mad about. But you also look and think, well, maybe they could have got six hundred if certain things are done this way. There's a couple play calls that didn't result in big gains because the receivers dropped passes. So you can't you can't knock Kendall on that. There was a couple big third down drops by JoJo Earl and Jordan Bailey. So you you catch those passes, all of a sudden they're eight of fifteen and they're hitting over fifty percent on th- third down conversions. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and hate on on Kendall because of a few um, what some label as as bad calls. Can they be better? Absolutely. I, I would agree with that, but I still think the guy's doing an, an A job right now as offensive coordinator. One of the things that didn't go well was I think I think it was the worst game on special teams that we've seen in a while. And there were there are a variety of reasons for it. So let's just get inside and let's just laugh at it for what it is. That was some sorry. It starts with an A. That was some sorry special teams on the Matthew Golden touchdown. I counted four people that could have that that had him and could have taken him down. A couple of them are starting in our defensive backfield, which um, is fodder for the message board. That play was uh, the bottom of the game. When the, when we look at where the game emotionally, where the frogs were at when Matthew Golden ran that back, that was some of the worst special teams coverage I have ever ever seen. The only thing I can come up with is those guys were his friends that hosted him, and they all became friends when Matthew was committed, and they just didn't want to tackle him. That's the only thing I could come up with. But, no, I mean, as, as, as good as the special teams had been in the first two games, it kind of took a wash on, on Saturday because you had Matthew Golden's return for a touchdown. Then they had another long return for a touchdown because TCU jumped off sides on the kickoff, Houston makes him kick it again, and Jenkins returns at 48 yards. He had a 48-yard return. And then <laughs> the worst is you have Griffin Kell, bless his heart, 
and they this the show's great trust in him because Sonny trots him out there because he kicked a 57 yarder against Nichols the week before so why not try a 60 yarder because let's be honest when I watched that kick go against Nichols I thought man that thing could have cleared from easily 60 plus yards so they're going to give him a shot but when they did it and I seen Houston run a guy back there I looked at Jamie in the press box I said don't let this be an Auburn Alabama moment don't let this be an Auburn he goes don't say that out loud don't you put that on them and I said why do I feel like the way they've played tonight that that's going to happen and sure enough, Griffin Short, they start returning it and thank, thank goodness for Rodgers to save the touchdown. DeAndre Rodgers, formerly known as DJ Rodgers, saving the uh, touchdown. Um, but they get 50 yards on that return. You had Griffin Kell miss another field goal after a six – I think it was a 16-play drive, Jeff. The longest that drive, sounds right. longest drive of the night, they start from – Inside their own five defense does a tremendous job. Again, T, uh, Houston has a third and five. Don't get it. They go for it on fourth and five. They drop a pass in the end zone or miss it, whatever. TCU starts at their own five. They have this long 16-play drive, and then a couple, couple bad things happen, maybe a play call. Maybe that's the drive where Jack Besh lost 13 on the first down after they were driving. I can't remember, but um, – Griffin Kell goes out there and he misses the field goal. So they have that long drive and they get no points out of that thing. So just a horrible night. And I'll say it because it's not only me. I said this two weeks ago. Remember what I said about JoJo? I love JoJo, but Darius Davis was a difference maker. Not only just making long returns, but just getting to the football. The guy never let the ball bounce ever. Like wherever the ball was kicked – he was tracking it down like Willie Mays Hayes in center field. I mean, that guy was getting to it. Yeah, we were gaining yards every time Darius Davis was back there because at a bare minimum, he was going to field the punt. He was going to field the punt, and we weren't going to, you know, it wasn't going to dribble down the field for another 14 yards. But like you said, like Willie Mays Hayes, uh, he would get underneath that, and you never know how far he was going to take it. But JoJo Earl has not impressed. Uh, you know, I'm not on here to dog on players. And maybe I bought into stars too much, but I know he was an elite player in high school. I know he uh, made an impact and contributed to Alabama. I have not seen a lot. I've seen some drop passes, and I've seen an inability to field punts and giving up yards on special teams. So hopefully he'll have a chance to, to get a little bit better. But if he doesn't see the field, I don't want to hear, why don't we have a four-star four from Alabama out there playing for us? Because – it's it's not getting the the desired impact at the moment right now. So, um, so 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 what I'm hearing, Jeremy, is we need to fire a special teams coach. Is that right? <laughs> no, Tom Rudolph's done a good job. I mean, he he got he he got extra a few years on his contract just because of Bazooka. So let's let's not throw. We won't throw Coach Tom Rudolph, who, who by the way is a awesome dude. He's he's no, really I good. Was, I was joking. Oh, I know you were. Um, but he's. You know, he's probably tearing into him this week because he's the guy that if you ever go out to practice, he's got this – they got this long speaker um, that they bring out there, and he's got he's got the mic, and he's yelling at all these guys. When we first started to go out to practice and you heard this music and then you hear this guy talking like, where is that coming from? You're looking all over, and then you finally realize it's Tomerdahl because he's, he's talking and he doesn't yell real loud, so he talks into this mic – which blares out over all the practice fields, and you can hear all his instructions. But I, I think they'll get it turned around. I think 
if you look at the overall scope of things, they they didn't get their extra credit done on this test. They, they, they just, they, they, they blew the chance at getting plus five points and special teams is, is a very uh, important part of the game and they did not do well. And I think Sonny even said that after the game, they got to get better at that. But going back to Jojo, I'm not, I'm not slamming the kid. It's tough to step into the shoes of the all time punt return leader in TCU history. Uh, like, like Darius Davis was, but I will say that he can do a little bit better job. I did see him try to get to one ball that bounced off a Houston guy's head, which they called kick, kick catch interference on that play. But uh, I, I really feel like he could do a better job of trying to get to some of those punts and, and maybe uh, not let the ball bounce 10 to 15 yards and put TCU further back. There was one possession where they punted from their goal line, and I thought, okay, TCU's going to get excellent field position here. And they started at the 30 because the ball – it was a great punt and then the ball bounced and it bounced all the way back to the 30. Yeah, that was a great reminder for fans. When the punting team puts the ball in the air and it crosses the line of scrimmage, the it, until it hits the ground, the other team – the kicking team cannot touch it. And so if, it, if you punt and it just hits a guy in the head, that's kick-catch interference. And so that that's one of those odd rules that uh, I saw a couple people on Twitter asking about. Why is that a rule? I mean, that's kick catch interference. You got to give them a, the right to field it. Now, even even if they run away from it, even if he's not even close to it. So, uh, well, anything else from uh, the Houston game that you want to highlight? Anything else that you want to throw here on this podcast? Because we're going to take a, just a, a glance at SMU, and then we're going to look around the country because there were a lot of fun games I wanted to get into before we wrap up the show. Well. I mean, obviously, the pressure for, uh, on defense, this was something, like you mentioned earlier, there was six sacks, 14 hurries, I think there were. Paul Oyewale had two sacks. He's got three sacks on the year, three sacks in three games. He's on pace to have a big year, and that's a guy that we needed to have him step up this year. TCU needs to have that guy step up, kind of fill in the shoes of uh, Dylan Horton. Shad Banks played a lot. I thought Shad Banks played really good. Uh I think the linebacker core in general played really good. It was nice to see Jamoy and Johnny get back there and get a get a uh, sack on Donovan Smith. I think they did a pretty good job containing Donovan Smith. He he got loose a couple times, but overall, I think they did a tremendous job. But did I tell you? Did I tell you? It, well, I told the board, but did you read where, what I talked about in pregame? What happened? What was that? No. So. <clears throat> The team had just gotten there. They're not even in their uniform yet. They're just kind of in their warm-ups. So when they get to away games, you'll see guys, they'll go out into the field. They'll do the, they will do their own little thing. They'll warm up. They stretch. Some of them do it individually. Some of them do it as a position group. Well, TCU as a position group, the corners and the safeties were kind of warming up together. They were doing their stretches together. Just We just got off the bus. We're going to go out and stretch. So they're just kind of standing there, and Josh Newton. There's there's three or four lines. I can't remember. But Josh Newton's at the front of one of these lines, so he's facing the stands, the the home side stands. And Samuel Brown, number four from Houston, who's by the way just in warm up clothes too, he walks by and yanks Josh's headphones out of his ear. He had a little like the the cord AirPods look like. And it was so hilarious to see Josh like kind of looked 
kind of stunned him at first because he thought maybe it was someone from his own team. Then he saw it was another dude. Number one, Sam Brown has some huge cojones to do that. Um, <laughs> to go <laughs> into a scrum of guys, just they're, they're warming up together, your opponent, at least 14 of them are all warming up together. Then you go over and pull the headphone out of the leader of that whole group, and he just acts like nothing happens, and Josh starts following him. Well, guess who else starts following him? Every single one of those guys. And so eventually a Houston trainer, equipment guy, someone had to come over there and save Samuel Brown, get him out of there. But me and Jamie were like, did that just happen? Yeah, it just happened. That dude that dude is uh, kind of brave, but it kind of set the tone, if you will, for the rest of the night because Samuel Brown had a good night, but I, I really felt like the defensive secondary did a really good job of covering those guys. I would not mess with Josh Newton. That's just me. That is just me. Bad boys for life. All right, so the Frogs have uh, SMU this Saturday at home, uh, 11 a.m. kickoff on FS1. My goodness, uh, things are on the rise over there on the hilltop. They're, they've bought their way into the ACC. They've put in, put up a couple hundred million dollars. Uh, they haven't invested that into their program in the last 20 years, but they're putting some money into their program now, I guess. You know, SMU is 2-1. and one. They beat Louisiana Tech. They, they played pretty well against Oklahoma. And then, obviously, they blew the doors off of uh, Prairie View A&M. What, what do you expect this Saturday in, the, in one of the last battles of the Iron Skillet? I mean, you know how it is. They're going to go over there and play them as hard as they can. It's their Super Bowl. They, they, they want to win that game. They want to have the bragging rights. Their rich alumni want to have their bragging rights that they beat TCU. They want to do it, beat TCU for recruiting purposes. Obviously, there's still some hatred there for Coach Dykes from SMU alumni. I'm looking forward to see if I can find the dad and son from a year ago, see if they make their way over to Amon G. Carter. But, I mean, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be a dogfight. I mean, we're going to – we said after Nichols, the next two weeks is going to kind of give us more of an identity of what TCU is. Houston is not very good, but they have good athletes. SMU is going to roll in with two and one. Preston Stone's been pretty decent this year. They have other guys. We're going to see Jordan Hudson. Jordan Hudson's probably going to want to have a big game because someone out there said he wasn't very good in spring camp, and a lot of people got hurt feelings over it. But that someone was me probably. Um, but I, I I think it's going to be kind of like last year. I feel like TCU could go out there and win this game by two scores, but for whatever reason – for the last 10 years, it's always seems to be close, and SMU gets to hang around. But I will say this. It was it was kind of cool where we had the um, post-game presser at Houston because it was right next to the locker room, and we could hear everything. We could hear everything. And Sonny told the guys, hey, great job, blah, blah, blah. Up next is Houston. Not going to get into what Sonny said, but I could promise you, or he said up next is SMU. I'm not going to tell you what he said about SMU or playing SMU, but I could promise you, TCU's not going to look past SMU like they're some small little brother over there. They're going to they're they're going to treat them like, hey, you tried to steal my girlfriend, top deal. They're going to go out there, play 
good football. They're gonna they have a they have a chip on their shoulder with SMU for whatever reason. They just do. They want they want to beat it, and that's good to see because a couple years ago. Oh, I will say I will say one thing. Sonny said this team came over to Fort Worth and, and beat you guys two years ago. Well, guess who was the coach at SMU at the time? So, oh, oh. <laughs> so, so it's 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 one of those things where last year it was kind of a it was kind of like they they won the game because of Sonny because Sonny was taking it so much from SMU fans, SMU. They should be thanking Sonny that he left because their stadium was filled for the first time ever. It was capacity crowd because all those hasn't pe- been filled since. Exactly, all those people over there just wanted to get their shots at Sonny and hopefully on their knees pray that SMU could somehow beat the coach that left them. If Sonny gets a chance, I'm going to tell you right now, he's gonna he's gonna put up a high score. He's he's. He's gonna he's gonna be just like Coach Yost told Herman Boone and remember the Titans, run it up, leave no doubt. That's what it's gonna be. He's gonna leave no doubt when they play. Somebody tell Gillespie, I want you to blitz all night. I want you to blitz all night. I want them to remember. You know who actually does a really good uh, Coach Yost impersonation? Matt Jennings. Little oh, Matt he does? Je- oh, Matt Jennings, yeah. Yeah. He, he, Gary Patterson's like, favorite reporter. Don't, don't get yeah, don't get pissed off at him, TCU fans. He actually does a really good Coach Yost from Remember the Titans. You know what else he did? He told the truth that it was time for a transition. <laughs> he did. Yeah, he did. Yes, he did. I'm glad Gary wasn't, you know, scouring the internet for Twitter to to weigh in. I'm glad he was really focused on getting the team locked in. All right, let's flip around the rest of the country from this last weekend. Uh, I'm going to give you a, a, a kind of a cluster of games here, and you, you comment on any of them that you want to. Uh, West Virginia beats their arch rival Pitt in, uh, in Morgantown. That was a good win for the Big Ten. BYU puts up 38 points and beats Arkansas. I think that seat is warming up in, in Fayetteville. And then, of course, going into the fourth quarter, it is 10 to 10 in Austin where Texas is taking on the, the known powerhouse in Big 12 Slayer, the Wyoming Cowboys. Anything you want to say about any of those three games? Because they, they all turned my head for a variety of reasons. You're muted, buddy. Darn it, I hate when I mute myself. Um, I, didn't get to see, I didn't get to see any of those games. So so locked into watching TCU put it on Houston. Um, but we did keep up with the score. Who, who you, you said BYU, Arkansas, Texas, Wyoming? Who was the other one? West Virginia, Pitt. Yeah, I didn't see that one either. Um, I was very bad Big Twelve media guy watching other Big Twelve football teams this got this this weekend. So um, Wyoming, I mean, they gave Texas a scare. I mean, wasn't it? They were at one point they were in the red zone going to uh, trying to get the lead. Excuse me, and uh, BYU for a team that. Apparently didn't have the offensive line. Some some coach that played BYU said he doesn't think their offensive line is going to be able to compete in the Big 12, but then they go to Arkansas and just run the football all over Arkansas. So, yeah, I, I think Sam Pittman's seat's got to be kind of getting warm up there. Yeah, I bet they all miss Kendall Browse right now too. Um, 
Yeah, I think that I think it's I think those two wins were good for the Big Twelve because we had some bad losses. I love seeing West Virginia beat the rival. I love seeing BYU beat Arkansas. I, I think I'm kind of I'm kind of have a higher floor for BYU than I think other people do. And I also think being in the Big Twelve is going to help them with recruiting. Uh, without getting into the geography of the Mormon faith, you know, there's a there's a huge Mormon contingency in in Arizona. And I think being in the Big 12, knowing that we're going to, they can come down and see, you know, see games in Tempe, see games in Tucson. I think with that, that Big 12 status, as well as, you know, the, the impact that the, 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 the expansion of the Mormon faith across the Sun Valley and the Mountain West, I think BYU is going to take a step forward in recruiting. And um, I, I, I'm pulling for them. I, I know a lot of fans hate BYU. I think their players are dirty and I think their fans are trash online, but I kind of, I kind of would like to see them. Uh, I, I liked, I liked seeing them uh, get a win at Arkansas. So, a couple other. Let's give me, give you a couple, another cluster of games. I know you didn't see any of these, but these were, these were worth uh, commenting on. Cincinnati loses to Miami, and I don't mean the good one. They lose to Miami of Ohio. Kansas State loses to Missouri in what was, I think, the best game of the weekend. And uh, Missouri sends their kicker out there that looks like he should be the backup tied in on a JV team they call him the thicker kicker and he goes out there and drills a 61 yarder to win the game and he had some leg left on that thing it could have gone be good from 65 and then we have to say it man South Alabama which is a school and not a region they blow the doors off of Oklahoma State in um, Stillwater I mean blow the doors off of Oklahoma State those three games, three losses, all three bad for the Big 12. All, uh, you know, they're not all the same. Losing at Missouri on the last play is nothing to be ashamed of, even though Kansas State should have won that game. It is tough time in Stillwater, and I, I think of those three losses, that is by far the worst. And I think it was the worst loss of a Power 5 team to a G5 team this year so far. You said Kansas State. I mean, we, we knew. I, I saw the clip. I didn't get to see the game, but I saw the kick of, of the – of the kicker making that field goal, he probably didn't have any problem getting a good meal that night. His his meals were probably all free, but that Some was other things too. <laughs> Quit it. <laughs> Talking about beer. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> Danny, Danny. Uh, I threw you off, hey, let's let's just start with this. Dog on Dun- Gundy. Dog on Gundy. Yeah. I don't want to dog on Gundy, man. I like the, I like the guy. I feel I feel sorry for his team. But going back to the Missouri kicker, it was it was cool because I saw some clips that he he missed a, a game winning field goal last year against Auburn that would have sent you know Missouri would have beat Auburn and they ended up losing in overtime. But it was good to see him get some redemption. What the hell is going on in Stillwater? Uh, I thought with that schedule they had this year. I thought they might have had a chance to to really compete. I know they lost everyone and their dogs, but my goodness, you lose what was it, thirty three to seven to South Alabama? Yes. So, you know they they don't play Texas and they don't play TCU. I mean th- that those are two games, two teams you want to dodge, and they, they are folding up. They, you know they they didn't look bad against Arizona State. I know Arizona State's not you know Georgia, but they went out to Tempe and and and, and won the game convincingly, and then they just. Oh, that was such a bad performance in Stillwater. Are you ready for it? I think something's in the water in Stillwater. Well, if if they keep putting out bad performances like that, Gundy's not going to be around much longer. We we will no longer see the the king of the Big Twelve. 
33 to 7. South Alabama's I, I did read today that their offensive coordinator and quarterback coach is Major Applewhite. So, good for him. Who who else did you say lost this weekend? Oh, Cincinnati. I'm oh, Cincinnati. That, that I have to at least keep keep track with. Okay, them. since yeah, Miami, you know, Miami, Ohio, they used to have some decent decent years, but yeah, that's not a good that's loss. Where my for grandpa them. went to college. But you know, I I do have an announcement to make on this podcast. It's breaking news. I've officially handed over my Matt Campbell fan club card. I've I've given it back. I'm no longer a fan of Matt Campbell. I've I've officially jumped off the bandwagon. Iowa State loses to Ohio. And did you see him want to charge that fan for telling him he's on the hot seat? I thought he was going to attack that guy. That was so bad. Oh, my gosh. I, won- Iowa State is a train wreck. He wanted to. He wanted to attack that guy. That poor little guy that said, you're on the hot seat, coach. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I think I can't remember if I said this on the podcast last week or not, but if Lincoln Riley and Cam Williams beat Oklahoma State in Bedlam in 21 and have to go to the Big 12 and, and, and go to the Big 12 title game to play Baylor, Matt Campbell is the head coach at USC. He was the backup and they wanted a coach in that week. It would have been Matt Campbell at USC, and now he's going to Ohio and not the not Ohio State, and and just getting beat. They couldn't they couldn't score fourteen points on the road against the MAC team. Oh yeah, the there's plenty of room. Everybody's jumping off the Matt Campbell train. Well, their offense is nowhere to be found. It has to be one of the worst offenses in the nation, right there with Arizona State, but. I mean to tell you, it's it's bad in Ames. And you talk about a guy who had basically any job he wanted five years ago, except the one he really wanted, Ohio State. And he waited around so long for that job, didn't get it. And now, look now to the present. I mean, he's no longer a hot commodity. He's going to be a guy that if Iowa State has another abysmal year, he's going to get let go, and he's probably going to end up being a defensive coordinator somewhere. Maybe offense. I I really don't know, but talk about the rise and fall of that guy in Iowa State, man. They just they're just not good. I don't even know. Me and Jamie were talking about it the other day, man. Is it like it's going to be worth going up to Ames when they play up there? Because they may not want us to go up there because it's going to be such an abysmal football game. It could be. A, it could be realistically if TCU's playing at a high level, it could be a blowout up in Ames, just like it was last year in Fort Worth. Well, I think we all believe the Matt Campbell reign is coming to an end. So, oh, all right. So I want to close with a question. I mean, we, we, you, you can get good coverage of Colorado, Colorado State somewhere else. Uh, my schadenfreude is very high on Alabama barely beating UCF. But I want to put you on the spot for one last question here. All right. The seat is hot in Stillwater, even if it's just on message boards. But oh, things are not well with uh, the Cowboys. Baylor is not looking great they're they're one and two they didn't even play well against long island which i didn't even know had a football team and clearly we all know houston is in a difficult situation you know that that rice loss didn't help if they if all three of them open projecting forward with the investment of resources over the next five years 
which of those three is the best job? Oklahoma State, Baylor, and Houston. If they all three open, what is the best job? Uh, I've got to say Houston because it's in the best city. You have the best chance to sell to the local recruits to stay home. Baylor's in Waco. That's all I got to say about that. Um, Stillwater, Oklahoma State, that's interesting. But I only think Oklahoma State is Oklahoma State because of Mike Gundy. I would be interested to see what kind of coach they could get in there. It's kind of like, it, I, to, to explain it best, when TCU lost Patterson, I knew there'd be a long line of coaches that would want to take TCU's job because TCU backs their athletic programs. they got a really nice stadium. They've got a fertile recruiting ground in DFW. Fort Worth's a great city. Stillwater's kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's a small town. Um, they do a great job recruiting small-town kids. But I, I don't think Oklahoma State's in the same situation TCU, TCU was when they lost Gary. I think when Gundy, you know, departs, retires, or they have a mutual agreement to part ways, I I really don't think they're going to be able to bring in a big name like like what we've seen with TCU and Sonny and just and and, and being successful right off the bat. So I got to say Houston's probably the the best job now, facility wise. Being you know stadium wise. I like I like Oklahoma State. I think facilities are the best at Oklahoma State. But again, I still think Houston Houston could be a sleeping giant if they recruit right. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I dismiss Baylor too, but we have to accept that the last three head coaches they've had have either played for or won a Big Twelve title. Aranda, Rule, Bryles. That's uh that's not small. So they're, they may have a higher floor, but I, I, I agree with you. I think it would be Houston. I think we, maybe we'll all find out this year. All right, we, we're going to we, close. Uh, I'm gonna put, we, we, we both said, you know, our prediction for Baylor is, has looked spot on right now because we both said Baylor was not going to be a good football team this year. And I'll tell you what, man. I don't know why my voice pitched like that all of a sudden, but um, the Big 12 to me – it's still a wide open race. If if you look at the Big Twelve in general, Texas is playing well, OU's playing well, but how how good is OU? They've played Tulsa, they've played SMU. Who else have they played? I don't know. Have they played any Arkansas State? If, so they've they've yeah, played they've played that's three, a bad team. Yeah, they've played basically SMU's their their best win. And they struggled. That was 14-11 until the fourth quarter when they scored two touchdowns to make it 28-11. So we really don't know a whole lot about OU right now. Texas, they <laughs> love them or hate them, you got to give them credit to going to Alabama and winning on the road where people don't really win. But then you turn around and look at Alabama and they freaking struggle with South Florida. So it's like, what what team is is Alabama right now? Because they drop in the polls after getting a win, which would never happen before. But suddenly they're not in the top ten for the first time in eight years. So how how good of a win is that Texas win? So 
they're they obviously have the talent you and i sat here and spoke about it they they are the most talented team in the big 12 but i think if you're a tcu fan and you look up and you look at the big 12 you've got to you've got to be somewhat positive because kansas state gives up a lot of points texas struggled with wyoming until late in the game you've got baylor struggling west virginia struggles they beat pit they beat pit but who cares west virginia still struggles Texas Tech finally got a win against Tarleton. Good for them. They won – how many did they score? They scored 41? Was that I think what they, they scored 40, 41 or 44. Something like that. Something. So, they, they got their first win. I still think Texas Tech is better than what their record indicates. I still think that's going to be a really tough game on the road uh, Thursday night in Lubbock. But I really feel like if you just look at the, the remaining schedule, it – TCU, you you can't sit there and look at it and be like, this team's going to kill us. This team's going to kill us. I think TCU legitimately has a chance in every single one of their games remaining on the schedule. They have to play solid football. They can't play like they did against Colorado, which, by the way, is now 3-0, ranked 16th or 17th. TCU loses to them by three points, which a lot of people looked at TCU and thought, they easily could have won that game, but yet TCU cannot claw their way back into the top 25. So, AP voters, if you're listening, I know a couple of you guys do. Tell me what's up with that. So, I, they're getting the they're, they're the others receiving votes right now. So, if you could say your only loss on the year is to the number 16 team in the nation where you racked up nearly 600 yards of offense, you're saying something. So, I, I think if you look at the rest of the schedule – not to extend this by a few extra minutes, Jeff, but I think you look at the rest of the schedule, I think is still in a very good position to win a lot of football games. Everything that the Frogs want is still in front of them. They're, they're undefeated in the Big 12. You know, you and I both predicted 11-1, and one, and they, there's no reason they can't go 11-1. and one. But I, I, everything that they want is still in front of them. And if they have a chance to kind of increase in, in how they're playing and the, the caliber of the teams they're playing over the next week or two here, there's no reason the Frogs can't be 6-1. and one. We thought they'd be 7-0 and oh at that mark, but there's no reason the Frogs can't be 6-1. and one. We saw Kansas State is vulnerable. You know, that, that I think the Big 12, you're right, is wide open, and we can still march towards that showdown in Fort Worth against the, the Longhorns in mid-November. No reason that can't still be true. All right, everybody, I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Frogcast. As always, uh, Jeremy and I love that you share in the content at hornfrogblitz.com. Jeremy, Jamie are always bringing good stuff for what's going on inside of the program as well as their observations on the recruiting trail and what they're seeing on the field and off the field. Also, we thank you for subscribing to the pro- to the Frogcast. Give us a, 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 a subscribe. Give us a rating and a review. Tell somebody this week, like I say at church every Sunday, if each one would bring one, you never know what could happen. So bring somebody along with you next week to listen to the Frogcast. So until we get together next time, for Daniel Southern, for Jeremy Clark, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Frog Family.